Joe. Hey, we appreciate Joe, his work with high schoolers, young adults, um, our, 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 the rest of our family ministry staff. They're down the hallway working with kids right now, and the absolute host of volunteers that invest in the next generation. I'm excited for Orangetober, and every weekend we're going to have a few moments just to really think. Uh, that's part of our 2023 vision is to grow deeper and equip the next generation. And so that's part of fulfilling that vision uh, that we have as a church, and we're glad that you guys are all a part of it. I'm excited to be with you this weekend. My name's Todd, if I haven't met you yet. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are diving, like Joe said this weekend, into a brand new series in the book of Ephesians. Now, this book is a powerful book, and even though it's uh, only a matter of six chapters a total of 155 verses. It may be small, but it is powerful. And I cannot wait for us to dive in together. Clyde Snodgrass, a theologian, says, pound for pound, Ephesians may well be the most influential document in history. That is a strong statement. And week by week, chapter by chapter, we're going to discover some incredible truths, both Truths more about who God is, but we're also going to learn to answer some key questions for our everyday practical lives. And no matter where you're at in your spiritual journey, you might be here this weekend and you're just kind of like, I don't know, I'm just, I'm just checking things out. I'm not sure about this faith thing or the truth of the Bible or, or I'm, I'm giving church a try again. I want you to know that wherever you're at in your spiritual journey, I really believe that the book of Ephesians is going to speak to every single one of us wherever we're at. When it comes to learning about God, we're going to discover things through Ephesians about God's sovereignty, about his providence, about his grace, about God's mercy and his love. We'll talk more about that today, about God's power. But then one commentator says this book answers key questions like, what should we pray for? We're going to talk about that today. Uh, who are we really? Why is the church such a big deal? Why are we even here today? Why do we gather like this? How can we truly be unified? Man, you think about all the division in our nation, in our country. Is, is being unified, is unity even possible? And if so, how? How can we imitate God? How can we approach marriage and parenting? What a huge subject matter that so many of us are living in the middle of right now. And then how should we see our, vaca- our vocation, from not our vacation, uh, we like that, from our vocation, but how do we view our vocation? What we do, Monday through Friday, whether it's a stay-at-home mom, or you're working on the line in a factory, or you're in an office cubicle, what does God's Word have to say about our work? The book of Ephesians, it contains some of the answers to all of these questions. So we want to dive in. Ephesians chapter 1, that's where we're going to be today. If you have your Bible, you can open there. If you're on your smartphone or if you want to follow along on the screens, uh, we can do that together as well, all right? This is what Paul says, Ephesians 1, in the opening words of his letter. It says, this letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle to God's holy people. Apostle of Jesus Christ. I'm writing to God's holy people, he says, in Ephesus, who are faithful followers of Christ Jesus. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. 
So this book that's included in our New Testament really was a letter that this guy named Paul wrote. Paul had been radically transformed by the grace of God, and now he was going around and influencing other people, telling them about Jesus. He was helping plant churches in cities all all over the known world at the time. And this particular city that he's writing to is the city of Ephesus. Here's a map of Ephesus. It's in modern-day Turkey. Ephesus was a small port city, and it was very, very influential. It was a city where there was all kinds of trading. There was all kinds of wealth. In fact, the difficult part of being a Christ follower in the city of Ephesus was that it was steeped in materialism and sensuality. Not much different from our culture today, is it? And that's why Paul, in his letter here, writes to them and reminds the people of who they are, that they're God's holy people, that they're God's set-apart people. Yes, living in the city of Ephesus amidst it all, but called to be set apart, to be holy. And he says, you are the faithful followers of Christ Jesus. See, Paul knew that it was going to be difficult for the Ephesians to live out their faith with character and integrity in the city of Ephesus with all that was going on there. Just like it's not always easy to live out the values of God's truth in our culture today. And Paul's writing to remind them. And he says, you are the faithful followers of Christ Jesus. Now, some versions, depending on what version you're reading uh, of the Bible here, say the faithful followers in Christ Jesus. Which is a very, very significant phrase in the book of Ephesians. In fact, that phrase, in Christ, is mentioned in Ephesians about 36 different times. And Paul begins in the opening chapter of this letter to remind the people of what it really means to be in Christ Jesus. And so let's read on in his letter. Here's what he says. All praise to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and he chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do and it gave him great pleasure. Now this last section, would you just read it with me? It's verses 6 through 8. So... We praise God for the glorious grace He has poured out on us who belong to His dear Son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that He purchased our freedom with the blood of His Son and forgave us our sins. He has showered us with His kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding." This was Paul's words to the believers that were gathering in Ephesus. And yet his words, this letter, it's included in the scriptures so that you and I, sitting in Sandusky, Ohio in 2021, 
would read it, would listen, would be reminded of who we are in Christ Jesus. That if you've at some point in your life moved from following your own desires and your own ways and said, Jesus, I need your forgiveness and your grace and I'm turning my life over to you. I put my faith and trust in you and I want to follow you with my life. That if you've made that decision and you've made that turn, God's word reminds us this is who you are now in Christ. And he listed off all kinds of incredible truths. In fact, he, he says how we've been blessed in the spiritual realms with every spiritual blessing. So what are those spiritual blessings that Paul just listed for us? Let's think about them one by one for a moment. First of all, he says, we are loved. If we're in Christ, we are loved. Now, some of us would say, well, that's nothing new. I've been loved. I, I've been in love. I love my kids. My spouse loves me. But all of us have lived out different kinds and definitions of love, haven't we? And we've experienced different kinds of love. In fact, probably most of us in the room, we've experienced a love that, if we were honest, it was a love that said, I love you if you, right? If you do this, or as long as you don't do this, I love you. Or, or you've experienced a kind of love that says, I'll love you as long as... And there's something attached to it, isn't there? An attitude, an action, a response. That's called conditional love. But that is not the kind of love that Paul was writing to the Ephesians about. He was writing about God's agape love, his unconditional love. A love from God that says, I love you even if you don't love me back. A love that says, I'll love you even when you blow it. A love of God that says to us, I'll love you even when you turn your back on loving me. That's what Paul's reminding the Ephesians of. And that's what his word wants to remind us of today. You are really loved. But that's not all. That's not the only spiritual blessing that we have in Christ. Paul says that the people, by God's good grace, by his own pleasure, it says, has chosen us. Now, all of us in the room, probably at some time or another, know what, knew what it felt like to not be chosen, to not be picked to be looked over and someone else focused on. Maybe it was for a job promotion and they just didn't even give me a shot. They just didn't even consider. Or maybe it's on the ball field and, and, and it, you're picking teams and it feels like you're going to be the last one chosen. I remember Lisa and I had served at a previous church for almost eight years, and we knew that God was calling us elsewhere. And I had left my position, and I was in search of a new church to serve. And I remember making it uh, to these different phone interviews and conversations, and I can remember uh, 
being hearing on the phone or even sometimes talking face-to-face and someone saying something like, Todd, you know, man, you're such a great guide. We, we really see a lot of potential in you. Uh, but, but we're going we're gonna to move forward with this other candidate. And that happened several times before I got the call to come serve at the chapel. And it was hard. <laughs> Rejection. Not being picked. Being number two. It sounds good, doesn't it? But it doesn't feel good. It was a shot to my ego. It was a shot to, to my pride. I remember, I remember turning to Lisa and saying, what's wrong with me? Am I really that bad of a guy? <laughs> now, as I step back today in 2021 and realized that over 16 years ago, God called me to the chapel. And do you know, I was actually second pick. (laughs) And yet, God picked me. He chose me. He invited me into his family and he invited me into this incredible place that we've got to be a part of for the last 16 years, following Jesus and serving others. And I wouldn't change a thing now. But back then, when it felt like there was a no, when it felt like I wasn't chosen or picked, it was hard. And Paul's writing to the Ephesian believers, and man, they probably had a sordid past. They had trials and difficulties. They knew that they had blown it in so many ways. And there they were standing in line waiting to see And Paul's saying, listen, God saw you, and he said, I want her. I want him on my team. I believe in her over there. I'm calling him to be with me, chosen. Not only that, Paul says in this powerful opening chapter of Ephesians that we who are in Christ have been adopted What a powerful, loaded word. You and I probably know people that have adopted kids into their family. Kids that maybe wouldn't have had a chance otherwise if some loving, caring, Christ-centered family didn't say, you know what, we want to be your mom and dad. We want you to be a part of our family. Adoption. He says, God has adopted us into his family. I love the way that Max Lucado puts it. He says, God sought you, he found you, he signed the papers, and he took you home. That's adoption. Finally, in this powerful opening chapter of Ephesians, Paul reminds the Ephesians that they are forgiven and free because of God's grace and kindness. Wow, to be forgiven. And not just by anyone. To be forgiven by the God of the universe that is holy and perfect and righteous. That because of what Jesus has done, we can be forgiven and free. The word that's used in the text is redeemed. Redemption, it it simply means being rescued from captivity. And the truth of the matter is, before a person gives their life to Jesus... Whether they recognize it or not, they're trapped. 
trapped and enslaved to self, trapped and enslaved to the opinions of everybody else, never experiencing true forgiveness and the freedom to be the person that God has created you to truly be. And this is what Paul says to the Ephesians, you are in Christ. You have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the spiritual realms, all because of what Jesus has done. When you came in today, uh, hopefully you were given some little communion elements that are prepackaged, and I'm going to ask you to pull those out. And if, if for some reason you missed getting some of these, then just uh, raise a hand and we'll get, hey, yeah, we've got a few people. So if some of our team members could grab some of the extra communion elements that are out in the, oh, there we go. And we'll just, we'll just pass these out to you. Just keep your hand up until someone comes to you. We've got a couple over here on this side too. Communion is a celebration of what Jesus has done for us. The reason, the reason that we can experience God's kind of unconditional love, the reason that we have been chosen, the reason that we've been adopted into God's family is all because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us. Jesus came to this world, lived a perfect life, and then died a sinner's death, a criminal's death, not because he was guilty, but because you and I are. Why? So that he could forgive us. He would give his body. He would shed his blood so that we could have forgiveness and freedom. And Jesus, when he was with his disciples, just before he would be betrayed and crucified, he gathered with his disciples and the Bible says he took bread. So if you just peel back that top layer, that thin, clear layer, you'll come to a little wafer. And Jesus took a common element, bread, but he gave it new meaning. And he said, this bread represents my body given for you. Jesus said, take, eat it, and remember me. Let's do that together. And then if you peel back the foil layer there, it's a little tougher, so be careful. You come to the juice. On the same night that Jesus shared this meal with his disciples, after they had broken bread and eaten together, it says that he took a cup and he passed it amongst the disciples, and he took another common element. And he said, this represents my blood poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Let's remember him. Lord, thank you for your incredible love, for the incredible riches that we have in you, Jesus, because of what you've done for us. Help us with the Ephesians. Be reminded and refreshed today that we are chosen, loved, adopted, forgiven, and free. We worship you today, and we're grateful. In Christ's name, amen. Well, what we find in the first chapter of the book of Ephesians next, 
Paul moves from reminding them of who they are in Christ to then praying for the Ephesian believers. And it's almost like his prayer is in three parts. And it's almost like his prayer is begging to answer a question, the question, what if? What would happen if? That's what prayer is. It's it's going to God and saying, God, if you would only, God, would you please, God, would you work, would you move? And what Paul prays for the Ephesians believers is what we pray for you and what we as a church ought to be praying for one another. It answers one of those critical questions. Well, how should we pray? What should we pray about? And all of us have been in situations where uh, we came to a point where we just didn't know what to pray anymore. When we didn't have words. When we didn't know for sure, well, what does God even want? And so how do I know what His will is so that I can pray? Whenever we're in those moments, it's it's always good to just go back to the truth of God's own word, to pray what Scripture tells us to pray. And so I want us to take a few moments as we close our time together looking at what Paul prayed for the Ephesians. He begins in verse 16. He says, I pray constantly for you, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you, what, spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. This strikes me about Paul's prayers throughout the pastoral epistles, the books, letters that he wrote to the Ephesians and the Philippians and the Colossians. Time and time again, Paul doesn't pray that God would rescue them out of their circumstances. Paul doesn't pray for them to be so blessed financially. He prays time and time again. For people to know God more. Because at the end of the day, whatever we're facing, whatever we're going through, what we really need to know the most is who God is, His character. That He really does love us. That He really has chosen us. That He really has adopted us into His family. And so, Paul prays kind of a what-if prayer, and I only can think, what if we really saw God for who He really is and how much He loves us, and how would that in turn change how we view other people? I think that's what Paul was essentially asking. What would happen if we saw the world then through God's eyes? Can you imagine if we looked at other people as chosen and loved and adopted how we would treat one another differently. But Paul doesn't just stop there. He says, I I constantly pray for you. And this is what we ought to pray for each other, that we would know God more and more. But secondly, he goes on. I love what Philip Yancey says. He said, Jesus had the uncanny ability to look at everyone with grace-filled eyes, seeing not only the beauty of who they were, but the sacred potential of what they could become. What would, what would happen if we saw people the way that God sees them? But Paul goes on and he prays even more for the Ephesian believers. Here's what he says. I pray that your hearts 
will be flooded with, the, with light so that you can understand the confident hope that he has given to those that he has called, his holy people, who are his rich and glorious inheritance. Those verses say that God's inheritance is you. What he most treasures and looks forward to is you. And he says, Paul says, I'm praying that those people will remember the incredible hope that is available to them in Christ. A confident hope, he says. And so really, Paul's asking the question, what would happen if, if our hope, if we truly experience this kind of hope, would also then inspire others to find that same hope? It's amazing what hope can do. Uh, this weekend is our son Carter's 15th birthday. He's a freshman in high school. There have been a lot of changes over the last year. Uh, we went through COVID and pandemic and isolation. He's transitioning into high school. His voice has changed. He's gotten taller. There's so much going on. But it has been a really difficult year for Carter. It's probably been the toughest season that we have ever faced before as parents. He's dealt with things that we, we've never dealt with as a family. And we've had some hard days where emotions just seem to spiral and anxiety is overwhelming to the point of not being able to hardly function. And we're getting him support, and we're getting him help. The other night, Lisa and I, we laid down at the end of the day, and we were thinking back through the day, and she looked at me, she said, today, today was a good day. It's amazing how your perspective changes when you're going through difficult times, just to have one good day. Just to see a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel. Just to have a little bit of hope. That's what Paul was writing to the Ephesians about. He's saying, I'm praying that you would know this kind of hope. And why? So that that hope would flood over into the lives of people around you as well. You know, that's what hope does. Hope is infectious. Hope is contagious. And all we need is just a little bit to keep us holding on and moving forward. And Paul was praying this for the Ephesian believers in the midst of all that they were going through. And it's what we need to be praying for one another. We need to pray that we know God more and more. And we need to pray that we experience hope. The hope that's found in Christ. Well, Paul prays for one more thing. It's found in verses 19 and 20. He says, And I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This same mighty power, he says, that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Catch this, you guys. Paul said, 
I want them to know God. I want them to have hope. And I want them to experience God's power. Not just like a power, like a little leftover power, a little extra oomph to make it through the day, to, oh, get through this or hang in there for that. He says, I want them to experience the kind of power that raised Christ from the dead. Like, if God can raise a man out of the grave after three days, then he has enough power to help you with whatever you're facing right now. And this was what Paul was praying, that they would know God, that they would experience hope, and that they would feel God's power moving into their lives. It's like Paul was asking the question, what would happen if we really believe God's resurrection power was available to us? What would, you, what would we attempt? What would we go after? What would we chase down? What would we attempt if we knew that God's power was going to be there for us, in us, and even through us? And Paul was telling the Ephesians, it's in you. It's not from you, but it's in you. Because you're in Christ. So here's how I want us to end our service. I want to give us two next steps. We're all about helping people take their next step. And so based upon what we've been talking about today, Paul's writing to the Ephesians and to us, what might be a next step? Well, for some of us in this room, we've given our life to Jesus. We are in Christ, but we've never publicly identified with that and said, yes, I am a follower of Jesus. Yes, I have put my faith in him. Yes, I have been loved and chosen and adopted, and I'm not ashamed to tell others that. So maybe for you, your next step is baptism. It's, it's publicly declaring that you are in Jesus through being baptized. And if, if you are at all considering that, then I want to invite you right after the service, like Joe said earlier, I'm going to meet you right over in the C3 room. It's right across the hallway. And you can just come and just ask questions and just learn more about what baptism really is and means. But in a couple of weeks, we're going to have a fantastic baptism service, and you could be a part of that. Maybe that's your next step. But there's one other step that I think every single one of us in the room can take, and that's to lay hold of God's power, to trust God's power within you to invite someone to church next weekend. Next weekend is going to be an awesome weekend that you're not going to want to miss, but that you do not want your friends, your family, your coworkers, your neighbors to miss. It's going to be so crystal clear, the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. You're going to hear a, a real-life testimony of a young adult guy who walked away from God, but then God just reached down when he was at his darkest moment. You're going to hear some brand new music that was created that reflects the book of Ephesians, created specifically just for this series and just for our chapel family. When you leave today, uh, our greeting team will have some invitation cards. It's just as simple as walking across the room, walking across the cubicle, walking across the street, and just saying, hey, next weekend's supposed to be a really cool weekend at our church. I just wanted to invite you. Do you know that you know the, the number one reason why people don't come to church? 
because nobody invited them. It's scary. Like, oh, what are they going to think about me? Are they going to take it the wrong way? Are they going to think that I, I think that they really need Jesus? Well, don't we all? <laughs> Trust God's power to give you the courage to just make the ask. And let's see what God does. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness. Thank you for loving us, choosing us, adopting us, forgiving us, and setting us free. May we know you more and more. May we experience your kind of hope. And may we sense your power as we go be your representatives in this world. In Christ's name we pray together. Amen. Would you stand with me and let's pronounce Ephesians 3.20 as our benediction over one another today. Would you read it with me? Now all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Have a great weekend. If you're interested in baptism, see me in the C3 room.